it, it should be marked to Galatians chapter 4 already. Galatians chapter 4, just raise your hand, we'll put a Bible in your hand, and we will pick up where we left off. We left off right around verse 12, and I'm going to just read verses 12 through 20, Galatians 4, starting verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my trial which was in my flesh you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. Let's pray. Lord, we... Thank you so much for this Sunday morning, this beautiful day that you've given, not a cloud in the sky. And Lord, we pray that as it's clear outside, you would clear our minds inside to hear from you. That the same way the sun is shining outside, that the Holy Spirit would shine in this place on each heart and the text that we're reading from this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would hear, we would hear from you and you alone. Thank you for this time. Lord, illuminate this study that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're here with us last week, we talked about that uh, Paul had come to the Galatians. Uh, they had, with their background of, um, you know, they were Celtic people with all of these different uh, gods that they served, what we would call polytheistic, many gods, just like the Greeks, just like the Romans. They served a lot of different gods. Uh, they had actually adopted some of the Greco-Roman gods, uh, but uh, going even further back than that, they had their own gods and goddesses that they had brought with them from uh, Central Europe down into Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And all of the things that they had worshipped and served, which we've seen down through the centuries, uh, never brought them peace. They were always still thirsting for the real thing. And along comes the Apostle Paul, and he brings them the gospel, the real living truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all have died, that all would face judgment. didn't matter if they were worshiping Zeus, Apollo, Isis, not Isis today, but the, 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 uh, the gods of Egypt, uh, all of these different things in the, in, down through history that all of the pleasure, all of the festivals, all the things that, uh, that religion establishes doesn't bring peace, and it won't prepare a person to meet the true and living God on the day of judgment. So Paul brings them the true gospel, brings them the salvation that has come down from heaven through Jesus Christ, preaches to them, and they receive it with joy. They receive it with gladness. They say, this is what we've been looking for. And as, if, as way of just kind of review, sometime after that, it was, doesn't appear to be a long time after that, a different group of men, after Paul had left, they come 
and say, you know, we're not going to dispute that Jesus is an important part of your salvation, but it's not the whole story. Because they came with the Jewish faith, the same, uh, the same followings and teachings that Paul himself was zealous for. Remember, Paul was persecuting Christians. He was throwing Christians in prison. He himself was devout in his Judaism. And I have great respect uh, for the tenets of Judaism, because the tenets of Judaism come directly from where? The Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, the way we would for uh, if you talk to a Jewish person, they would call the Old Testament the Tanakh. But the tenets of Judaism, the foundational tenets, are given in the Old Testament. They were given under the law through who? Moses. Remember that Paul talked about the fact that the law, it, it didn't even, even though Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation, the law came well after Abraham, right? So Moses is at 400 years after Abraham comes Moses. So even Abraham wasn't under the law. The law was given to Moses. Well, these Jewish teachers that come to Galatia, they believed in the same law given to Moses was the only way of salvation. When the reality was, the law always was used as what? The Scripture says it in, here in Galatians, a tutor to show people they could never keep it to perfection and they needed a perfect sacrifice. All those animal sacrifices, they were typology. All those animal sacrifices, when they would have the animal's blood shed, that was all saying that someday a perfect sacrifice was coming. And that perfect sacrifice was Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, and this is what Paul taught them, said, no, 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 all the things that are needed have been accomplished in Christ alone. Christ alone. These Jewish teachers come along and say, no, 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 well, Jesus, he's important, but he's not the whole thing. You need to keep the law. If 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 you're a heathen, pagan Galatian, you need to be circumcised. You need to start eating these dietary rules. You have to wash a certain way, all these things. You have to worship on this day. All of these things, he said, the Galatians uh, were saying, okay, if that's what we need to do for salvation, we're ready to do it. And they adopted the same works-based salvation that these Judaizers, and that's the term that is often used by theologians, that came up to Galatians and said, this is what you need to do. So instead of, at that point, trusting in Christ alone, they had begun to revert back to the same practices that the Pharisees and others that were trying to find justification under the law, the same things they were doing. And this is why Paul is saying, um, brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Paul's like, look, before I came to Christ, Paul's like, I was the most zealous He was from the tribe of Benjamin. His original name was what? Saul. Why was it named Saul? Because he was named after the first king of Israel, King Saul. So Saul, who became Paul, was named after Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was devout, so devout that he hated Christ followers because he thought these Christ followers were neglecting and slashing the law of Moses, when in fact they were fulfilling the law of Moses because Jesus Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He came to what? Fill it up. Fulfill it. And so Paul didn't see that when he, before he was saved. He thought that these uh, Christians, that James and John and the apostles uh, before him, the, the disciples of Christ, he thought that they were actually uh, destroying the faith. And then 
fact, when Paul himself, on his road to Damascus, when he comes to saving faith, he realizes that he was the one that was going against the faith that God had given. And so he said, I became like you. What does Paul mean by that? Well, Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. He was Jewish, he was Hebrew, but he became the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Paul could speak multiple languages, so it was good that he was sent out because God handpicked him because he was born a Roman citizen. He could speak the language there. He spoke Greek, he spoke Aramaic, he spoke Hebrew, so God could send him to these places. But when he became a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, he was sent to the Gentiles, but he did not go as a Jewish keeper of the law. He went as a man that had been saved by grace. So in other words, he was saying, it wasn't my Judaism that saved me, is what brought me here. Jesus Christ grabbed me on the road to Damascus, saved me by his grace, and I come. And so he would tell these folks, you don't need to become Jewish, but you do need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be all of a sudden adopt all the uh, customs of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to start uh, eating certain food. You can continue to eat the same food. If you'd like to eat bat, keep eating bat. You ever watch Bizarre Foods? There's people that eat this stuff. Now, I'm never going to really be attracted to this. I was watching a documentary around rats. You know, in Southeast Asia, there's places where they, they, they catch the field rats. Actually, the field rats, I kind of get it. They're a lot cleaner because they eat, you know, the rice fields and stuff like that, and so they're not in the New York dumpsters and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> but I still can't get past it. It's still a rat, right? Well, you could, if you're a missionary and you go to parts of the world, and that's what they eat, are you going to tell them you can't be saved because you're eating an unclean thing according to the Old Testament? No. Paul was told, Peter got this vision. Peter was the one that, remember, the sheet comes down to Peter, and there was every creeping thing on it. And Peter was disgusted by it and said, I will not eat any of this stuff. And God says, oh, yes, you will. Because I'm going to send you to the house of a Gentile. And you have no idea what they might put on your plate. Because in the Jewish mindset, to, to eat something that the law had said was unclean was to violate the faith. And God had told the apostles, no, you're, I'm going to be sending you to the uttermost of the world. You might go to India if you're Thomas. You might go all over the Mediterranean world if you're Paul. You might go down into Africa if you're another one of the uh, disciples of Christ. You might go in further into the Middle East. And the food and the customs and all those things were not the requirement of the Gentile world. The requirement of the Gentile world, the same as for the Jew, is that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, if after that, you say, I really love the feast and the festivals that God set forth to, Abraham, or to Moses, you are free like my brother Sam uh, down there in Charlotte, North Carolina. They, they celebrate every one of the Jewish feasts, and we've done Passover seders with them, and it's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful. But there's not a mandate that the person that gets saved in Egypt or South Africa, or Greece must do that, or they can't be saved. Does that make sense? So in other words, if they had never done a Passover, they had never observed a Passover, could they still be saved by the Passover lamb? Absolutely. And that's what Paul was saying. When he came to Galatia, he said, you guys get the same salvation as me being Jewish, 
But your only requirement is to now follow the Lord and be led by the Holy Spirit to be saved by grace. Confess your sins. Remember what Paul said to the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts? The Philippian jailer, he said, what must I do to be saved? And what was Paul's response? Well, you better get circumcised. You're going to need to change your diet. You're going to start worshiping on a certain day. Is that what Paul said? No. He said, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. And that night, the Philippian jailer and his entire household got saved, and they got baptized that very night. They didn't even wait for a special church baptism. They got baptized that night. They didn't even know all that they were doing. Do you realize that people that get soundly saved can get baptized and not even fully even understand what they're doing, but they're just excited. Their sins have been forgiven. Now, later on, the Philippian jailer may have just said to himself, hey, I would like to go to Jerusalem and participate in a Passover. Great. I've been to Israel. I would love to go again. I want to take, I'd love to take the whole church uh, or portions of the church. Uh, in a couple of years, we want to do an Israel in 18 trip. And when you're there, I think you'll be blessed by the things that you see, but they're not necessary for salvation. They can add additional blessing and light to salvation, but they're not the salvation. Well, these Judaizers, remember, they came back up and they flipped the script. They were like, no, 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 no. Paul might have said that, you know, him going back, because Paul would go back to Jerusalem for the festivals. If you're here with Sam, he was talking about that, that uh, Paul had to get back. He was determined uh, to get back. Um, but those things were additive in his life. They weren't, the, they weren't the salvation. They weren't the core of what God had done. But these, uh, these uh, Galatians and Paul saying, I became like you. In other words, I became like a Gentile. I would actually travel the Gentile world. I left Jerusalem, where it was, that's where he was living. He said, I left Jerusalem to go and live among you guys. And if you didn't serve me kosher food, I ate it anyway. And half the time, I'm sure they didn't serve him kosher food. But they would then say, well, these guys told us we need to become Jewish. So we're now eating kosher food. We're separating from Gentiles. We won't. They won't mix with the other. And Paul, you guys are Gentiles. What are you, what are you talking about here? You know, you, you've become like me who got saved out of that. Very interesting. He said, but hey, you've not injured me at all in verse 12. He's like, but you know what? The fact that you've, that you've turned and gone back to these other things, he goes, I'm not offended by you. I just want to help correct you. Brother and sister, don't get offended by other people. Prayerfully ask how God can use you in their life, but don't be offended by them. People will say things to you in life or do things that they don't know why, why they're saying or what they're doing. Sometimes later they might even regret what they said and done, but don't be offended. As much as the power of the Holy Spirit can help you, don't be offended, but say, you're, like, you're not injuring me at all. And in fact, their issue is really not with you. When people turn away from the gospel, if they turned away like the Galatians did, their issue wasn't with Paul. Their issue was with God, that they had left what God had given to them. All the issues of days, the Sabbath, the Jewish feast, uh, as I mentioned, uh, some of these things are coming up. Uh, Even more, uh, I've seen a resurgence of these things uh, right now in 2016. In the last few years, I've seen uh, people that, you know, were 
deeply committed to Christ or just following the Lord that have gotten tripped up by this stuff and have come to realize that uh, I, I, can't, I can't go to church on a Sunday anymore. Uh, and it gets worse than that. Sometimes they've cha- they're changing all kinds of uh, theology and looking at, well, the New Testament can't be completely right after all, and maybe, that, maybe just the Old Testament was from God. I'm like, if that's true, then we're really lost because the New Testament is the whole revelation of Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament did was pointing to what had to come and who had to come, and that was Jesus Christ. He is the Sabbath rest. He is the end of works. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have works. We are saved for works, but not saved by works. Big, big difference. Uh, We are saved to do the works of God, but not to be saved by them. We looked at Colossians chapter 2. We don't have time to turn there uh, again, but we looked at Colossians 2 and we talked, uh, talked about the fact that those things that are mentioned there in Colossians 2 were temporary. They were a shadow of the things to come. And that was uh, a good understanding for us that it, he used a literal thing in Colossians 2. Paul used a literal thing like circumcision. Circumcision is still done today. It's literal. But Paul used a literal thing that was literally under the law, and by the way, in the Old Testament, it said forever. So what was God meaning? It wasn't that the literal was forever. It was that the circumcision of the heart was going to be forever. Does that make sense? That under the new covenant, under the Lord Jesus Christ, anyone and everyone would be circumcised in the heart, that God would take away the old flesh that would actually keep us from coming to Christ and replace it with that soft heart we see in, in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel mentions that as well. So he used a literal thing like circumcision to speak of the fact that those were a foreshadow. They're a shadow of the greater things to come, which would come through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is greatly concerned um, that these uh, Galatians have turned away from the gospel, and he's wondering, are they temporarily confused? Because he says, I have my doubts about you. Uh, Did I labor in vain? I mean, he poured into them. He discipled them. Imagine if you discipled a group of believers, and when you last left them, they were pouring through the scriptures, they were praying, they were witnessing in Jesus, and then you got back, and they had basically folded up the Bible, and you noticed that it it had turned into a synagogue. Like, what, what happened here? Well, we've, uh, we now, we, we're like a mini temple now. Uh, we're, we're basically just following everything that the, the Pharisees said is the most important thing. So he's like, did I labor in vain? He had come and eaten their food. He didn't impose these things. Uh, didn't tell them they had to keep the feast, but now they're doing all these things. He still loves them, though. He still loves them. He wants them to turn back. You know, when people are in the wrong... We love them. We don't try and debate them into or beat them into the right way of understanding. We have to lovingly remind them what the Scriptures say. Remember we talked about even this Wednesday night, that uh, this past Wednesday night, Jesus, when he was in the wilderness with Satan, every time Satan said something that was a lie, Jesus said, it is written. The best way to respond to people is just to gently say, you know, I hear what you're saying, have you opened the word to see what God says? That's a good start. Say, well, if you haven't, Matthew chapter such and so says this, or it's written that says this, and remind what the actual word of God says. 
And Paul wants to bring them back to the gospel and back to the work that God did in their hearts. He didn't take it personal, but he wants to be available now of the Lord to say, look, this is what God wants you to do. This is why he saved you. And that's why we want to take a look at these last two things this morning. First is the pure response that he, re, uh, he reminds them what it was like, their newfound faith. Do you remember when you first got saved? It's good to be reminded of what happened in your heart and life when you first got saved. I refer back in my own mind and in public teaching uh, often. You know, I got saved with my wife and I on the same day. We walked forward the aisle, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, June 1995. And it's good for me to remember what I was like 24 hours before I got saved and what I was like within minutes after coming to Christ. My mind had changed. My desires had changed. Things that were important uh, before were unimportant, and things that were unimportant before became important. This is what Jesus refers to as our first love, right? People understand the whole first love concept. You remember, you remember your first love in high school or, or college or things like that? When you look back, it wasn't actually love, right? It was first something, but it really wasn't first love when you look back at it. But when it comes to our salvation, we really do have a first love experience, and it becomes the permanent love. Those of you that are married, uh, you realize that, um, that the spouse that God has given you, that love can grow and should grow, but there should have been a first excitement. If you weren't excited to get married to your spouse, do not say that now. You know, basically, uh, you need to get excited and stay excited. There was no enthusiasm when it started. But the Galatians, they had an enthusiasm. They, were, they fell in love with Jesus because he had quenched their thirst. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He had quenched their thirst. Uh, uh, William Law says, no man can fail the benefits of Christ's salvation but through an unwillingness to have it. We can't fail the benefits of Christ unless there's an unwillingness to have it. Well, the Galatians weren't unwilling. They were like, yes, yes, we want that grace. We want that true religion that comes down out of heaven. We've been serving false gods. We've been serving our flesh. We've been serving our pleasures, and nothing has brought us peace. They had a desire for it, a taste for it, and Jesus had quenched their thirst. This is the first love. And those of us that have been genuinely born again, we were moved by the gospel. We were humbled by the gospel. We were transformed by the gospel. We didn't care uh, on that day about unimportant things. That day, we were just glad that God had saved us from our sins. And Paul is saying that the Galatians, uh, um, they so saw Jesus Christ. They so saw his holiness. They so saw the love of Christ. They so saw his mercy uh, that none of the things that would normally distract them distracted them. They were just laser-focused on that day that they were now followers of Jesus Christ, that they were sons and daughters of God now. And I remember the first day we got saved. We, I, it wasn't the first thing on our mind after we got saved. When are we going to eat lunch today? That did not cross our mind because there was something bigger had entered our heart than are we going to eat at Chili's? Are we going to eat at uh, a steak place or whatever? Something bigger had come in. Paul is saying that the message here, he says, uh, when I came to you, uh, because of the physical infirmities, God, Paul had had some physical infirmities. We believe his eyes were greatly affected. It may have even looked really bad uh, because uh, when someone comes to you and they look really 
messed up, you might not want them to be the pastor or something. I don't know. So he's like, but even though I didn't look so good, you guys recognize that God was speaking through me, right? So it's a good thing that when you can recognize that God is speaking through a person, that you can look past. Maybe they don't look, you know, Israelites, speaking of Paul's original name, Saul, they chose Saul because Saul was a tall, good-looking dude. But when you pick people based on the outward appearance, you can fail miserably, right? Because Saul was not the king that God had desired them to have. He wanted a man after his own heart. Well, Paul had a heart, and he had a love for God, and even though he came to them because of these physical uh, infirmities, he had to go there first. He, He intended to go to a different place, but his health was bad, so he ended up first going to these Galatians. And while he sees them, he doesn't look good in physical condition. He's having some kind of issue that's probably affecting his eye. Who knows if it's got pus coming out or whatever else. And, uh, and yet the Holy Spirit is so anointed him that they recognize that the words are directly from the Lord. And they receive from him. And he's saying that the message that I brought dwarfed the messenger. The message was so powerful, it dwarfed who it was coming from. And it was uh, a true message, and their response to it was pure. Their response to it was genuine belief. They accepted the message, they accepted Christ, but they also accepted the one who brought the message, and that was Paul. And Paul said, you so embraced what I brought that you, you would have been willing to give up your own eyes for me. Wow. They got a heavy dose of salvation, didn't they? They would immediately say, if we could, we'd give you our eyes. They loved that Paul had brought on the gospel. It was kind of like, remember when Jesus uh, healed the ten, and only one came back? The one that came back was one that was just wanted to grab on Jesus and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the way the Galatians felt. They were so appreciative that Paul had come to them, and if they could, they would have paid his medical expenses. They would have got him into a hospital. If there was anything they could, they were willing to do it. And by the way, when Jesus gets a hold of our life, we will tangibly love people, not just say, hey, I'll be praying for you. Hey, that's good to say. We should say, hey, I'll be praying for you, and actually mean it, and actually pray. But if there's more we can do, we should do more. Amen? Now, Jesus gave that parable. Good Samaritan, he didn't just say, hey, I'll be praying for you that your wounds heal while you're laying there on the side of the road. No, he came along and did something. They had this desire to tangibly show love. And they were collectively willing to give to Paul, and they did. And not just one person, but the the whole group of the Galatians. He's speaking to all of them. And when we love each other selflessly and purposefully, we'll become of one mind and one spirit. Do you notice he talks to them as a group? He said, you collectively, all of you are willing to give up your eyes for me. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Not just one person. Can you imagine if Jesus said to this church, all of you would be willing to give up your eyes for someone blind? That would tell that the collection of us have come under the same spirit. The collection of us have had the same heavy dose of the Holy Spirit saying, this is my heart. A.W. Tozer said, historically, revivals have been mainly the achievement or the achieving of a oneness of mind among a number of Christian believers. In the second chapter of Acts, it is recorded that they were all with one accord in one place when the Spirit came upon them. He did not come to bring into oneness of accord, he came because they were already so. Did you hear that? 
that the Holy Spirit's power came upon the early church, not because the Holy Spirit made them become one, but because they had already yielded and had become yielded as one, then the Holy Spirit came upon them. When we yield to the truth, we will become one. And when we become one, then the Holy Spirit will come upon us and anoint the oneness. Does that make sense? Oh, Lord, just, uh, just make us one. Just make us one. Just make us one. First, he said, no, you have to commit to that oneness, and then I'll anoint the power. There has to be the heart change that we have to be willing, and they were willing first to come to the gospel, but then willing to be united and saying, what can we do now as a church? And Paul said, you guys, when you came, you had such a sincerity. They had such a unification of the power of the Holy Spirit there. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is threatened by a church that's unified in the love and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not threatened by a church that has just big buildings, lots of money in the bank. That, doesn't, that does not impress him, Satan. But a church that has a unified mind of the Spirit, that church that prays, that church that really is showing the love of Jesus Christ, well, he'll attack that. And how does he do it? Well, he sows discord. He'll sow a lack of love. He'll sow pride in. He'll sow apathy in, that everything else becomes more important than the things of the Lord. And then he sows false doctrine, which is what happened to Galatians. False doctrine, something to pull them away from the truth. So there's these different ways, and that's the way Satan attacked the church of Galatians. It was through false doctrine. Other churches, he'll attack in different ways. But any of these things can destroy a church family. And so Paul, in love, he contrasts the enemy's plan. He said, look, look back in your Bibles here. He said, uh, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. These Judaizers that came, they did not love the Galatian church. They wanted the Galatian church to be used as pawns for them to broaden their own power base and to have this church turn away from Christ and to get other people turned away from Christ. And as they bring them under the law, Guess who would be their leaders? Well, not the apostles. It would be these Judaizers. And they would start to impose upon them the same things that they did in Jerusalem and other cities where you notice that Caiaphas and all the, you know, all the religious leaders, these guys, Jesus said that they had the best seats in the marketplace, right? They, they, were, they were the really connected religious leaders, one thing the apostles were, they were not connected religious, religious leaders. They were rejected religious leaders by the connected people. But uh, these Judaizers, whatever their reasons were, we don't know all the reasons, the bottom line is they would have brought these people back under bondage when Jesus had brought them out of bondage. It was going back to spiritual Egypt. And he's like, they, would, they want to zealously court you, but not because they really love you, because they want to use you. I can promise you this. At Calvary Chapel of Richmond, the only person that wants to use you here is the Lord Jesus Christ. But to use you for his glory. All the rest of any of your gifts, talents, and abilities, God wants to use them, but not the way people would use them. People will use you for their own benefit. God uses you to actually fulfill your life, to actually give you peace. But in the process, you're actually reaching and helping other people all at the same time. So Paul, he then confronts the enemy's plan, and he 
in love, he's trying to bring these believers back into the purity and the unity that they have. He says here in verse 16, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Wow. You ever had someone become your enemy because you told them a little bit of truth? One of the things that we don't ever try and do as Christians, we don't try and be offensive, or at least we shouldn't be. But the gospel itself will offend at times. But I do my best to be gracious to people, to lovingly present them. As I mentioned to you last week, I spent 16 years in the business world. I had opportunity to share my faith with atheists that, are, that still I can go have lunch with today. I can pick up the phone and say, hey, would you like to grab lunch? And even though they totally disagree with me, Muslims, Hindus, Jew, Jewish, uh, Jewish people that are not born-again Christians that are still practicing Judaism, and, and many other different things as well. And over time, you know, we want to build relationships and we want to be accessible and approachable. We want to come to people in love. But even still, if you do all of that, you still might sometime become someone's enemy because you in love tell them, what if they ask you? So if I, keep this, if I continue this way, would I go to hell? And you'd have to lovingly say, well, I'm not your judge. I'm not the one, but the Bible says this. And they might not like that answer. And even after someone is saved, you know, you might have someone who's saved that's kind of walked away from the Lord. They've gotten off path. And, you, and those of you that are spiritually mature, the Scripture says, come and restore such a one in gentleness. In gentleness. You might come along and say, hey, I noticed that I don't see you anymore. You used to come to Bible studies. You used to come to prayer. What's going on? Oh, I got this going on. You know, that those things take the place of God, you're going to go completely off course. Well, I don't like that. Don't ever call me again. I've had, those, I've had those conversations with people. It wasn't that I didn't love them. And Paul's saying here, I, I, I love you, but I have to tell you the truth. If you continue to follow these false teachers, it'll be destruction. If you follow their doctrine instead of the doctrine that was given to you that was true, if I see someone that used to believe in the simplicity of the gospel and they say, well, uh, now I have added this, that, and the other. I had a, uh, just the, uh, um, I, was in the wall, I was going to Walmart the other day and I had a, a lady come up to me and invited me to a Bible study with the Watchtower Society. I told her, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'd be glad to talk to you. And she, and she started talking to me about the, So I started asking her scripture. Within a couple of minutes, she didn't want to talk to me anymore. I just, but I was gracious. I was loving. I was kind. I was saying, have you read this? Have you read this in the Bible? Have you read this in the Bible? Didn't Jesus say this? Yeah, I got to go. We've got to go to another. Um, so, but I said, you, you seem like a very nice lady. You seem very nice and she, you seem very sincere. I said, but you can be sincerely wrong. And I said, whoever's taught you this, I believe they might have been sincere too, but it's not true. I said, you know, we can both be wrong, but we cannot both be right. And I said, it's not really me or you. It's Jesus is right. He's already said the truth. And when we give people this uh, advice, whether saved or unsaved, they don't always receive it well. And Paul said, have I become your enemy? Because I tell you these things. We want to look at the last thing where he gives instruction, which I've titled the proper worship, verses 16 through 20 here. 
In verse 18, it says, uh, it is good to be zealous for a good thing always, and not only when I'm present with you. It is good to be zealous for a good thing. Are you zealous for the, the gospel? Are you zealous for Jesus Christ? Are you zealous for the word of God? Are you zealous for prayer? Are you zealous for worship? If you say, I'm not, there's a simple solution to that. Stop. Pray. Say, Lord, I want to be zealous for these things. I'm committing that as much as what is within me, I'm committing to be zealous for these things. Will you help me? Do you know what God won't say? I'm not helping you with that. Would, would God really respond that way? Those of you that are parents, your kid says, I'm starving. I haven't eaten since 6 a.m. and it's 6 o'clock tonight. Can we have something to eat? No way. Jesus used that same illustration. Would, you, would you, your child's hungry? Would you give him a rock? Right? He's like, if your father, who already wants you to be zealous for spiritual things, who already wants you to be zealous for souls, who wants you to be zealous for the word, if you say, Lord, I'm not. I'm, I'm more zealous for the Wall Street Journal. I'm more zealous for, uh, you know, Facebook. I'm more zealous for uh, sports on TV or whatever. And the Lord says, but ask me, pray, and stop, and I'll make your heart and your mind like mine. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ, but it comes by spending time with him. They'd been courted for these other men for the glory of men. Paul says, the ministry that God wants you to be zealous for, it will not exalt the personalities and talents and gifts of men. Those things are actually an affront to God. It will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And God does want you to be zealous for those things. Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman there at the well, but the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God the Father is seeking people that are zealous to worship him. And if you're here, he's called you by name because these, wherever the word of God is spoken and never returned void, God wanted you to hear that very word, that the true worshipers, he wants every person in this room to be a true worshiper of him, not of men, not of the religions of men, not of empty religion. Jesus was speaking of the heart of worship here. I want you to be zealous for a good thing always. The motivation behind our worship should always be to worship God in spirit and truth, to honor him, the way we walk in this world. And worship isn't limited to singing. A lot of people think worship is singing or something like that. Worship is, does involve singing, but no, it's the worship of our life in prayer and the word of God. It encompasses how we live and walk in the world, what comes out of our mouth. New Testament says we're to speak at the oracles of God, that our words would actually be the same kind of words that Jesus would use, the same way he'd interact with people. The original, the original simple faith of the Galatians, it was humble and it was born out of gratitude. Again, your salvation should have been born out of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole, right? as the song says. They simply gave God their lives to be used and to be turned, and then their lives would be an offering. Not rituals, but an offering. Living worship, it's real. It's genuine. When our lives are living sacrifices, it's noticeable. People will notice that we're zealous for these things, but we have to yield 
to the Lord. We have to kneel. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. The only way we're transformed is by stopping and getting in the Word and praying, saying, Lord, help me to become what you've called me to be. And if there's false things that are filling my mind or unimportant things or things that are drawing me away, that you would help cut these things out. And God will. He'll say, that's a prayer I will answer. This is what Jesus wanted from the Galatians, for them to be living sacrifice, to be genuine. And it starts, Paul says, my little children for which I labored in birth, again, until Christ is formed in you. Again, that there would be a depth of maturity and growth. I would like to be present with you to change my tone. In other words, Paul said, I'd like to be present to see everyone say, Paul, you're right. We have, we have made a big error. Can we confess it, get it right, and move forward? And Paul would have said, yes. Now I can change my tone. Just like, with your, just like with your, if your parents with kids, if your kids have had a really bad attitude and say, we can fix this or this can get worse, right? One or the other. And Paul says, if it's fixed then we move on and God bestows his grace and God says, everything's forgiven, get back on the right path. And this goes for adults too. God does this with us, doesn't he? We can fix it or he can fix it, but we have to, we have to yield. Paul had labored, but he said, I, I want to know that, that uh, you guys have heard what I've written. You've responded correctly. You've humbled and gone back to the, back to the truth, that the fruit of salvation uh, would begin to bloom again in their life. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruits. How about you, brother and sister, as we come to a close? Would others be certain that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Would others be certain that you're filled with his spirit, that you're following the truth? Are you growing in his grace or just kind of going through the motions? Because, you know, we don't today, most Christians don't follow a law-based faith, but if you just kind of go to church and check the box, you kind of are walking in a works-based, just kind of ritual without even knowing it, right? Are we just going through the motions? I don't know who the author was. It was a, it, um, the quote is anonymous, but it says, enthusiasm from God is contagious. Has anyone caught it from you? I'll say that again. Enthusiasm from God is contagious. Has anyone caught it from you? See, when we really, really say, you know, Paul, people caught Paul's enthusiasm a lot, didn't they? Because it was contagious. He was constantly pouring into people, constantly touching people's lives. You're never going to, people are never going to catch from you and me anything that will connect them to Jesus Christ through empty religion. If our walk is empty, if our prayer life is empty, they'll never catch the living Christ from us, even if you're saved. Paul had the real thing, though. James had the real thing. John had the real thing. Peter had the real thing. Do you have the real thing? Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are thankful this morning that you've given us the real salvation that, Lord, not only we've accepted with our mind, but now lives in our heart. 
And we are so grateful, uh, Lord, that you sent people along our path. In, in my life, that you sent people uh, in the mid, early to mid-90s to share the gospel with me, Lord, that you sent way back in time Paul to the Galatians, that you sent other people uh, to our brothers and sisters right here in this room. And, Lord, we're grateful that uh, you loved us enough that you reached out to us. But, Lord, even after salvation, it may not be a works-based faith, but other things can lead us away, just busyness. And, Lord, we need to be brought back. We need to be reminded to be zealous for the good things of the Lord Jesus Christ, not zealous for the things of this world. And, Lord, for all of us here, we may not be following the works of the law, but we may be just following our own selves. And we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, to remind us to commit wholly and fully unto you and that you would do a work of transformation daily, weekly, month by month, year by year in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you stand as we close in worship?